You are now listening to the Film Situation Podcast. We're so pleased to have Hayato Mitsuishi on the Film Situation Podcast. Welcome, Hayato. Thank you. So I guess give us a little bit of introduction about yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Hayato Mitsuishi. I'm a filmmaker. I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Then I went to high school in New York. Then went to Japan for college and worked there for a while. Then I came here to LA. Oh, I didn't realize you went to high school in New York. Where'd you go to high school? So I went upstate near in Purchase, New York. Oh, not too far from my house. I live in Harrison, New York. Oh, nice. Yeah. Went there for three years. It was like a boarding school. Did you like it? It was okay. It was... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Actually, yeah. if you could speak a little bit closer to the mic, it oh, might okay. be a little bit better. Go to the mic. And were, so were you always into films, like from a young age? I like the entertainment industry, but originally when I started working in Japan, I worked in the environmental business sector. So it was very different, but I've always loved film and the entertainment world. Yeah, that's why I came to Did you grow up watching movies in the cinema? Uh, like yeah, once in a while. I, it's, I haven't, not so much though. I've seen films, but probably not as much as uh, probably my peers. How did you first then get the bug to start making um, films? I think I just like the entertainment industry. It's just bright. <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> sparkling. I know you mean. There's It's a lively industry. Like just the other night, I got invited to see a film screening, for example, and Ethan Hawke directed this documentary about the mm. actor Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And right. you know, it was cool. Ethan Hawke was there presenting the movie. And they had a little after party and it was exciting to yeah. be there. And I really enjoyed the film, actually. So there, there's always things like that yeah. in the movie industry. And for example, me and you met at a film festival. Yeah. We first met at the Action on Film Festival, Las Vegas. Yeah. And then we, we ran into each other again at the Ingenuity Film Festival in yeah. West Virginia, where I think your film, Where Florence Sleeps, was playing. Yes. And I really loved it. Oh, so thank it was you. A, that was a Japanese film. Yes. And we're going to get to that. But I guess before that, what was your journey like as far so, as like really getting into the entertainment, like making the, like, how was it that you made the decision to get involved in entertainment and filmmaking? And then how did you first get going? Sure. I was in the environmental business sector, and then I've always wanted to get an MBA in the States. And I thought, oh, once I get my MBA, I'll do something that I love. But then I was like, then what do I love? So I, did, I was doing some uh, soul searching before um, applying for my business, for business school. Then I realized that I really like that entertainment flashy kind of world. And I also like business, but I thought these two were very different, the entertainment and business. And then I was looking through these business schools and UCLA, it said it was strong in entertainment business. And I was like, oh, this is it. You know, I heard birds flying, chirping, and it was like, oh, this was it. So then I uh, yeah decided to come to LA and since I was from a different industry, different country, I just started talking to people and I needed to position myself. So I positioned myself as a Japanese guy who was going to connect Hollywood in Japan. And when I started saying it, it was embarrassing when I first said it, oh, I'm going to connect Japanese entertainment in Hollywood. And when I started saying it, people started to say, oh, I know, I know a friend at DreamWorks or I know this Japanese girl here and Japanese guy there and they use me and that's how I started to uh, network. And, That's uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so what's the film industry like in Japan? Do you follow along with it? Like, 
sort of is it is there a thriving independent film world out there currently is it mostly just studio films out there how does it work out there so it's uh, it's changing the independent film world is wasn't thriving as much but i think because uh, it's not really independent but a lot more japanese films are getting noticed and because of netflix and their films their content is being shown outside of japan so up to now it was mainly just a domestic market they didn't really need out in a box office or anything they could do just within but i think right now they are they've always tried to go abroad as well internationally but a lot of times the content except for anime or animation their content was very domestic but recently with a lot of content being shown on netflix and a lot of asian content being shown and a lot of some of them getting academy awards it's starting to become more international yeah that's true because there there is there's certainly a lot more people paying attention to asian content obviously there's a lot of films coming out of south korea as you said at the academy awards parasite one best picture and not just in the foreign category just like best picture period yeah. so i feel like that's a big deal yeah and i think it's actually cool that people are embracing foreign cinema a little bit more it seems like the average moviegoer mm-hmm. like perhaps like you said because of netflix and things like that are they're more open-minded to watching such films mm-hmm. where it used to be I feel like people that were just like fans of cinema would watch foreign films. Now it's more like the average person might be yes. a little bit more open to it. Exactly. I think. So are you a fan of like classic Japanese films, like a key films? I have a lot of respect. It's just I don't really watch so many Japanese films. So I think I'm a, I'm a bit of an outlier. <laughs> like I'm not really like I don't I'm like I'm not really I don't I haven't seen that many like classic Japanese films or even U.S. films. I have more since I came to L.A. But it's just more of I was um, driven to number one, the industry itself. It just felt so interesting. And, and then I do Hollywood films, actually, <laughs> more than Japanese films, even though I have been doing Japanese film festivals all. But that's because I wanted to spread Japanese content in the States. That's a passion of mine. But I also enjoy watching yeah, U.S. films. You should check out this film called Vengeance is Mine. That's an incredible film. Okay. And I think it's part of the Criterion collection. Oh, 1979? Correct. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So so let's talk about the film When Florence Sleeps, Where Florence Sleeps. Uh-huh, yeah. How did you, first of all, I really enjoyed that film. Thank you. And I loved it. And that was directed by Katsuto Kobayashi and Kenji Kobayashi. Yes, correct. I guess they're two brothers. Yep, they're brothers. I met the brothers over there. They were both in attendance. Uh, I think Kenji was there, maybe. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I met one of the brothers. And I think I met another fellow from the film. Oh, then it could have been both. Okay. Uh, no, I think it was only Kenji. Yeah, it was only really? and myself. Okay, gotcha. I don't know why I thought there was, there was a third person there. From oh, maybe in action on film. Both of them were there. Okay, yeah, it's hard to keep track which yeah, festivals yeah, yeah. were... Which, yeah. So how did you get involved with that? That was a pretty, that was a pretty, I was impressed with the level of production on that film. Thank you. Yeah. So that one though, it was interesting. It's more of leveraging myself as being a Japanese person in LA. That was actually created. I wasn't involved in the actual production, 
So I met them when it was first, it won the best film of the year at the film, New Filmmakers LA, Valet. They have this weekly or monthly film festival and it was for that whole year. And then, but before that, when they're showing it there for the first time, I knew the person organizing it and they asked me to come on because they had these Japanese directors and they needed an interpreter. So that's how I kind of got there and I got in touch with them and we became friends and they wanted to become get me on board as a producer to help get it known internationally. So that's how I got on board. To help get a distribution deal and that sort of thing. Yeah, and also get it to more film festivals, get it more exposure. And then I got my feature film producer credit that way. Excellent. Yeah. And what have you been up to really since? I know that you're working, you worked on a film called Without a Name. The friend of the podcast, a friend of ours, Emmett Loverden been on the film situation. And yep. who we also met at the Ingenuity, at that same festival, yeah, the Ingenuity absolutely. Film Festival. Yeah. yeah, I've been working on various films. In my case, I wanted to get into the entertainment industry through the business side. So that's why I went to business school and I worked at Fox doing in, in the home entertainment, doing international kind of research and analysis. But I've always wanted to be, go to the creative side. While I was there, I was helping out my friend's shorts or doing film festivals and all that stuff. And once in 2019, when Disney bought Fox, we, I had a consulting agreement with Fox, but that ended yearly. It go, it's a yearly contract. And then I decided, okay, I'm just going to uh, just focus on production with my company instead of you know, doing another consulting gig. That's when I, that was 2019. And since then, I've done many shorts and feature films producing because of my positioning and also the people I know, they knew that I had more time now. So a lot of people came to me and said, oh, now you have more time. Can you help produce this film? That's how I started to really get into. A- what do you enjoy the most about producing? I just love working with creative people, with talent. It's just uh, and actors and even the crew, like everyone's doing this really unstable job from passion. And it's very unstable, especially like actors, talent, they're really putting everything into it, right? That's their career, that's their life, they're very unstable. But because of that, they have so much passion and just so exciting to work with them. And yeah, I don't know, I love the vibe. I love the environment, also the chaos. I think I have a knack for kind of dealing with chaos, probably from doing the film festivals and stuff. But um, and also, I have a business background, which also helps because there's a lot of creative people in the industry. So I feel myself as being useful as well. So it's gratifying. And yeah, I know it's just interesting. I just love it. It's interesting that I like that you mentioned about that chaos element, because I find that's not just on independent films. Like you'll hear of like really big productions of just things could be granted there's a level, obviously, there's a level of organization. You, If you have a huge budget film or TV show, there's the, like the six-ton grip truck and all the wires are nice and organized. And the union crew people, they're super professional in terms of how things get handled. But there's still problems that could happen even on the biggest of sets. And oh, yeah. so I do find that it's important to be a problem solver. and. Filmmaking to me is synonymous with problem solving. Yeah. I think I learned that from Scorsese when before I was a filmmaker. <laughs> I think like he said that in an interview or something when I was younger. It was like filmmaking is all about problem solving. And mm-hmm. that was in my head from a young age. Yeah, I think the bigger the production, of course, the more professional, but the problems get bigger too. And what's at stake is much bigger as well. So 
Definitely. That's a good way. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Yeah. Because there's so, literally t- like every hour is money that's being spent. And plus you have these big talent, right? That might, if that, if it's a small one, if someone can't come, we can replace that person. But when you have a hundred million, $200 million thing, depending on this talent. And for some reason that falls apart or something, and you have to get all these big talent scheduled, right? All together. If something falls apart, just thinking about it is mind boggling. I know what you mean. And yeah, I was reading about that. Have you heard of that movie, The Gentleman, that was directed by Guy Ritchie? No, I have with not. With Matthew McConaughey. Really good movie. And the I think Gentleman? it was the last. Yeah, really good movie. But I think they recast uh-huh. one of the main actresses, left her two weeks of shooting with her. Matthew McConaughey's wife in the film, I think it was supposed to be played by, and I could be mistaken here, but I think it was supposed to be played by Kate Beckinsale or something. Okay. And then they recast her. But yeah, even on the biggest of films, they do such things. Oh, yeah. And then on Ridley Scott's film, For All the Money in the World, I think that's what it was called. Yeah. I remember they replaced Kevin Spacey because there was that whole scandal with Kevin Spacey at the time. And they replaced him with Christopher Plummer after (laughs) shooting the film. So then they had to do like VFX. They had to reshoots. It was a complicated situation yeah yeah. although christopher Plummer is a better choice for that role i think a lot of that happens like something falls apart and something better comes out of yeah i know you mean it's sometimes there's a serendipitous sort of thing that could happen where or i like how you say it's something better could come of it right yeah 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 i think the the more challenging i think it's uh, testing your capacity it's increasing your capacity right of how to handle stress and the situation i would believe it's always a bit more than you can currently handle and then you keep on increasing your capacity so therefore you can do bigger projects yeah that's something i've been thinking about a lot is in general is i think it's important to push yourself outside of your comfort zone because it's easy especially the older you get right like when you're a kid and you're growing up or even in high school you're always in a changing sort of dynamic like you just mentioned you went to boarding school that's like a new sort of thing could be a frightening thing maybe like you have to meet new friends or there's challenging situations everything is new all the time but as most people progress into adulthood things could easily it's easy to become a creature of habit right mm-hmm. and it's easy to fall into your comfort zones you understand more how the world works you understand a little bit how things go and then people get into their routines and that could be a good thing but it could also be a dangerous thing too yeah you can also become more conservative right because you have things that because you're smart you see the risks when i was younger i do now that i think of it why did i ever do that but because i did i was so ignorant i could just go and do it Whereas now I know all these risks, it's harder. So I have to push myself more to take risks just because I know about the risks. That That's a really good point too. I find that sometimes that can translate even to creativity. Like mm-hmm. I was watching Martin Scorsese. I love Scorsese. And we're going to be talking about some film scenes later on. And I know that you selected a scene from The Wolf of Wall Street directed mm-hmm. by Martin Scorsese. So it seems like you're a fan. But I was watching one of his earlier films because I had this guest on the podcast, David Proval, who's an actor, a great actor. And he was in the movie Mean Streets, directed by Martin Scorsese. He played one of the main characters. And I noticed that Scorsese, you could tell he was like experimenting 
with his filmmaking style because it was like a, such a early film of his. There's some jump cuts that he was doing. Some, and he's done stylistic sort of stuff throughout his career. And you could tell now he has more of a command of it and it's more polished. But there was something a little bit more raw about that film. It was it was kind of liberating. Mean Streets. I love that film. Okay. Yeah. So that sometimes when filmmaker and artist. They could be more free sometimes in the early days when they're doing something oh, yeah. certain with certain yeah. filmmakers or with a lot of them, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Same, yeah. I guess with musicians or you, you need to really explore that when you're young and you don't have much to lose. You just do everything. That's true. So what, what was the greatest advice that anyone's ever given you about filmmaking? Oh, about filmmaking? I don't know. I can't think it's my case of trying to just figure it out, to be honest. It's like just doing it, just trying to figure it out on my own. Yeah. And yeah. what's one of the biggest lessons that you've figured out throughout your time of doing it? I feel, I don't know if it's a lesson, but I feel like it's a marathon. So you got to be in the industry. You got to stay in the industry for a long time. Make sure you're able to stay in the industry and sustain yourself because it's not a it's not like a sprint or anything right like you've got to say do the ups and downs so you got to learn how to sustain yourself also be calm and it's the name of the game is something's gonna go wrong so go into it knowing that something will go wrong but tackle it gracefully because a lot of us will not <laughs> i like that and you know, yeah sometimes it's a marathon and sometimes it's like you're going up a mountain in a hurricane and you're yeah. trying to hold on to a branch yeah. don't let go you know? <laughs> don't let go yeah exactly also it's such a small world and it's a such a small like village that you know and the reputation is really important i think once you just for a small amount of money or even a big amount of money once you lose a reputation it's hard to get back in so really keep your integrity and keep your relations because Everyone's going to ask if they don't know you, people are going to go, oh, how, what's that Hayato guy like? Is he trustworthy? And if you have problems, of course, you have to assert yourself if you think you're in the right, but politely, right? You got to say what you have to say, but you need to really do it professionally because once you can get yeah, yeah, I agree. It's important to be tactful. It is an incredibly small world. It seems like it's a big industry on the outside, but once you're actually in it, you start, yeah. even with actors, you start seeing the same people over and over again. People know I'm sure, everything. Uh, people yeah, know I'm sure we know a lot more people. Exactly, if we started yeah. talking about that, we, yeah. we know a lot of other people in common. Yeah. That, you know, In fact, I think that was the case because I think I met another actress in New York of Japanese descent that knew you you know, and, and that sort of thing. And, and that happens all the time. You start to run in the same Circle. And if someone likes you, then they'll, I have this as well, but they'll say, hey, uh, can I introduce you to this person I know? And then you start, where if you're, if people don't like you, they don't trust you, they're not going to do that. So you're not going to expand your network. Yeah, no, it, listen, it just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. My sister works in costume design, actually, mm -hmm. and she works on the HBO show Succession. And she's oh, about nice. To... I'm watching it right now. I love it. Yeah, she's in the costume department on oh, that wow. show. and. And she loves it. She's passionate about it. But she, she's about to work on an independent film as the lead costume designer. And the producer of that film, she was telling me about the film. And it was like, it's this older producer that I met years ago. And I was like, oh, I, I know that guy. And she's like, oh, that's so funny. It's a small world. And I guess his son is directing the film. And I oh, met wow. the son as well years ago. And then she talked to him. 
And she's like, oh, he had the nicest things to say about you, Zeph. Like he said that you're such a hardworking guy and this and that. Nice. So it was nice to hear because yeah. Yeah. You know, it was nice to hear that kind of feedback. And it goes to what you were saying before about keeping your reputation. And that is incredibly important. Yeah, I think if you have a bad, it's impossible to control it. You know what I mean? If you do something wrong or bad or something, it's really hard to hide that. It's just, it's yeah, not it's one of these things where the truth comes out to the yeah, surface, it comes up, right? Yeah. So yeah, if you're doing it. shady things, you're treating people badly, it's going to come back to you. And it's, but if you're a person of integrity, it's almost like the tortoise in the hare, right? That story of like, sometimes when you're trying to do something so fast and you're, if you have the mentality, like, I don't care, I'll bulldoze everybody in my way and do this and that and cut corners and that could come back and haunt you in a lot yeah. of ways. But if, like you said earlier, I take the same mentality, it's a marathon, right? And I've always said, listen, I don't know, I have a different kind of mentality about making it than I did when I was younger. When I was younger, I thought there was like this moment in time where it's okay, I'm going to make it in the film industry. Like there's going to be this moment where I'm going to become somebody. And that was me being younger and more immature. Now I have a different sort of mentality. Now I'm like, listen, I'm doing it. Like, it's not the specific moment. It's about this whole journey. And it's about not the glitz and the glam of it for me, at least that like I could, I really don't care about that aspect of it anymore. Like, I, I just care about the craft and just getting better and contributing back to cinema because I love cinema so much. And yeah. so for me, that that is the thing, taking joy in the doing of it, you yeah. know? And then if people respond to it, then that would be amazing. And yeah. if some people connect with the film and it finds an audience, like that's really something. And obviously you want to make a living out of it. Like I have a family. So yeah. to be able to do it full time at this point and really spend time on creative things, spend time on filmmaking, that to me is like making it. Yeah, absolutely. What sort of you gave the advice of younger filmmakers that are really pursuing this field like about reputation what what else what other sort of advice would you give really oh younger filmmakers yeah yeah and i think like your network is really important and i don't mean like just go to parties and stuff but actually like i think volunteering is great you volunteer for film festivals or you help out with student films or something because there's always someone who has another project or maybe a bigger project or something or they know someone that does. You stand out by just doing what you need to do. A lot if the people around you are slacking or whatnot, you get frustrated. It's like if you're doing the right things and you're on time, the basic things, right? You do what you're told to do, you do it on time, you're there on time, you stand out just by doing the normal things. Because a lot of people in the industry or new people at least, not the people who are staying, but they are attracted to the glitz, but if they're not really taking it seriously, you can stand out by just doing the normal things. So once you're like that and people like you, you're dependable, then you start making those connections. And then one day you help them and they'll start helping you. And I think it's important to really get out there. And it's one thing to just, you know, you know, just hone your craft, but it's also important that it takes a village to create a film. Oh yeah. It's a good point. I'm glad you said that because for me in the early, in the very, very early days of me getting involved with film, I didn't really have much under my belt. So I was like going to parties. I was going to networking events. I was handing, I made business cards. I was handing out my business cards. I was like, almost like networking like crazy, but I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything to show for it. Yeah. Just like this determination of, Hey, I'm going to do something. And then 
that took a backseat for a long time as far as the networking. And I became very isolated and I'm just like, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to work. I'm going to make short films. I'm going to do it. And I did, I did that then, but I didn't really focus on the networking for a long time. Now I'm trying to find that balance of the two of them. This podcast is actually pretty good for that because it's getting me a chance to like meet new people. Yeah. But now thankfully like the pandemic is in the rearview mirror and there's events happening again and film festivals happening again. Like I mentioned just that event with Ethan Hawke the other night. That was a really cool event actually. So yeah, it's good to see things popping up again. How is it out in LA? Yeah, same. I think people are sick of the pandemic and they really want to get out. And I've also heard that first boom is actually receding. There's a boom where everyone's wanted to make, but now that boom's kind of, re which is funny because the pandemic's not really over, but it's tapered down. It's right. What I, yeah, I think it might be one of these things where it's just going to exist maybe for the rest of time. Like, like it's the flu, like, right? yeah, like the flu, it's just going to be like an additional thing. Yeah. But hopefully the worst of it is behind us. It's like it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what else is in next for you in terms of what's next on the horizon? As so far as you're currently, all this, so I had a lot going on this year. One of my other short films, Love Shack, it's been going the film festival around. We've been around, I think, 21 film festivals. And, uh, and so, that was by also by the Kobayashi yes, the brothers, Kobayashi right? Brothers, they shot it here with Hazuki Kato and Kay Phillip, two talent. And we did that, I think, during the pandemic or just before the pandemic. We tried using just uh, the iPhones, three iPhones in a hotel room, which was pretty cool. That's, uh, that festival run is almost over. And now we have, uh, I was a producer on three feature films this year just this year did the post-production of that then once that's done then you know we have to start thinking about the distribution in the film festival excellent are you able to talk about the films at all or yeah of course so one <clears throat> this is one so it's two from japan and two from the u.s the u.s one, one was actually, emmett's film right without yeah, a name Two is Emmett's film. The other one is The Maginal Line. He, which is interesting. Maybe he talked about it at the... Uh, he did, actually. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. The Maginal Line, that was, I think it was shot in June or something. And then, uh, and right after we shot it, this Without a Name project popped up. He already had the script, but our other partner, uh, Eric Lukert, who lives in Wisconsin, he's our third producer. But uh, things moved really quick and said, hey, we can actually f film this or shoot this. And we want, it was either we do it before winter because we can't shoot in winter in Wisconsin or wait until next year. But as if in film, you never know what's going to happen next year, right? So when you have the opportunity, you got to jump on it. So right after we finished uh, shooting Maginal Line, we just started the pr with pre-production for without location hunting and all that stuff. And yeah, and we just started shooting in October. So it was a pre-production, like one or two months since, since we start talking about it. I think it was two months. We said, okay, let's do this. And we had two months and we were shooting in two months, like a feature film. Sometimes that happens. Nice. Yeah. And then the third one, sorry. And then the other one is Some Days, which is a Japanese film that was shot in Japan that I'm a producer on. That's awesome. Which part of Japan was it shot in? Izuka Prefecture. Excellent. And what's that film about? That's about these people who were orphans, like orphanages, like these kids who were, who lived in orphanages, they all had a dream of performing and uh, they become a band and they get together and pursue their dream of a band and, and singing and all that. Nice. And who, yeah. who directed that project? So that was us. He's directed by a person called Ne. He, he actually lived in the U.S. as well. Let me, let me see his other. 
he was he lived in the US. He's Japanese, but he lived in the US for some time and he actually did some short films here as well. And his name is Takeshi. And oh, have you heard of One Cut of the Dead? I don't think I have actually. It's a Japanese film that was like hugely successful. It was like a very small budget, but it just blew. It's a kind of a movie horror comedy in Japan that was just huge. I think you like it. It's really interesting. But he was a cinematographer for that. And there's this one cut scene where they're chasing, they're being chased by zombies and all that. And it was really, uh, the budget was 3 million yen and it made 20, like 27 million yen or something. But it was very, um, it was a huge hit in Japan because it was very unique. It was like a movie within a movie kind of thing. Okay, I got to check that out. Yeah. By the way, have you seen the Japanese film Shoplifters? The one that came from yes, Yeah, uh-huh. that's a good one. Yes. I really enjoyed that. I've also, did you watch Minimata? With... Oh, I have not. No, no. Yeah. That was also really good, I thought. With Johnny Depp, where he goes to Japan. I guess yeah, based yeah. off true story. Funny because one of my talent, because I also manage talent, she, she was going for the role. So I helped with some of the auditioning. I saw the script I, at the sides. Battle Royale. You must have seen that. Oh yeah. Right? Battle Royale. I have. Yes. That must have, that might've been one of the first Japanese films that I watched like uh-huh. around the time that it came out in Got 2000. It. That was yeah. like a Hunger Games sort of yes. thing before exactly. the Hunger exactly. Games. Yeah. Before the Hunger Games. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, some people, was the Hunger Games based off that movie? I don't think so. It's a little different, but right. yeah. But the concept is yeah, definitely it's very, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so now let's we're gonna jump into the second portion of the podcast where we're gonna okay. really talk about movie scenes. Uh-huh. And you want to talk about one of the scenes in the movie Kick Ass, directed by Matthew Vaughn. Actually, Matthew Vaughn was a producer before he was a director, producer for really? Guy Ritchie. I had um, no idea that did well, Snatch and. Yeah. So did you ever see Matthew Vaughn's movie Layer Cake? No. It's a gangs it's a British gangster film. Okay. It's a really good film. That gives me hope because I'm interested in directing the future too, so <laughs> there you go. So yeah. I think Layer Cake was supposed to I could be mistaken by this, but I heard from somebody the Layer Cake was supposed to be directed by Guy Ritchie. Okay. And then Guy Ritchie couldn't direct it because like we talked about earlier, things change sometimes. Yeah. So schedules happen, problems uh-huh. happen. So I think Matthew Vaughn jumped into directing that film it's with Daniel Craig, wow. famous of the James Bond ilk, right? Yeah. And it was fantastic. I loved the film. I've seen it like two or three times. Oh, wow. I okay. highly recommend it. Okay. Layer cake. So then I guess he did Kick-Ass two movies later, I think. Okay. So did you see Kick-Ass around the time I, it I, came I, out? Yes, yes. I saw it in the theater. It, it must have made so- it, it must have made a strong impression on you. It was just so enjoyable. I guess especially the small kid kicking ass basically was just and then it was comical in a way and the Yeah, movie, like Nicolas Cage's character. Yeah, but also the fight scene it's actually really very graphic and all that, but at the same time because of the music and how it's edited, it makes it comical as well. So of course, I'm sure a lot of people will condone such violence, but yeah, it was just so, entertaining. So Kick-Ass is based off the comic book of the same name by Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. And I guess it's it tells the story of an ordinary teenager played by Aaron Johnson who sets out to become a superhero, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's a girl played by Chloe Grace Moritz yeah. that is trained by Nicolas Cage. Is that right? 
Yep. Nicholas Cage character. Yep. So then, I guess, tell us a little bit about the scene. All the scenes, basically the fighting scenes, like her kicking ass, basically, all these big, huge Lives assassins. up to its name, basically. It does, yeah. <laughs> the assassins, and it's just cool that this little girl, just with a mask, is just... The action is... So the action is filmed extremely well. It's really... Yeah, it yeah. is... It's like eye candy. Like yeah, you said, enjoyable to watch, like, from... I, I didn't watch this film when it came out. I remember when it came out. I was familiar with the film. But I just watched it's, it. It's not like tiring. Like some Marvel films, you just got tired. There's so much going on. You get I got sleepy sometimes with so too much action going on. I didn't know what was going on. But I know what you're saying. That's my gripe with certain action films of more modern times, like versus action films of the 70s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's kind of reminiscent of the action film of the 70s. To me, it's important yeah. to have characters that you care about, right? If you have characters that you're emotionally vested in then I feel like you follow along with it. Yeah, I also I think when there's too much CG, it doesn't seem like it's real fighting. Um, maybe that was why I was getting sleepy when I see some of these huge budget like CG action films. Whereas Did you ever see... Yeah. yeah, I agree, man. And when it's done the right way, it enhances the film. But when they use, when they use it without thinking, I feel like peace, certainly VFX is evolving. And I think people are being more mindful nowadays to really plan for the visual effects but i agree with you it shouldn't hinge on that and right. and i love practical effects yeah I, I love practical effects yeah have like, you ever like, seen yeah. have you ever seen scott pilgrim versus the world yes i have that's also a good movie i love that, that I, too yeah that's yeah. kind of like a kick-ass that's like in the, yeah same vein it, like yeah. kick-ass reminds me of of that movie as well and then hong kong film kung fu films where or chinese films are kicking there's wire action Yes. Yeah. Wire, that's pretty cool too. I love like old school kung fu movies, like these Shaw Brothers, like kung fu movies from like the seventies and eighties. Incredible. And then the other one, actually, before the first one we were going to talk about was Kill Bill. Love the uh, the scene where love Kill Bill. Yeah. She she goes down the stairs and Bill Part Two for some reason is it's part it's my favorite one for some reason. I guess they're they're both interlocking films that are- One and two, yeah, exactly. I don't, I actually don't remember which scene that was in. It was either one or two, yeah. Part two is just, it used to play like artwork in my apartment when I lived on Wallace Avenue in the Bronx. Um, And I had a plasma TV early on, like in 2004, when not everybody had a plasma TV yet and they were still super expensive. (laughs) But I remember just, that DVD of Kill Bill volume two just played, it just played almost like a loop in my apartment all the time. And also (laughs) he loves, he really likes Japan as well. And he really incorporated a lot of Japanese in it and Japanese songs as well. Like the old school soul songs that even young people will listen to, like the older generation will listen to. And a lot of aspects that was very entertaining. And some people might think, oh, that's not real Japan or whatnot. It's entertainment. And I found it as a Japanese person very Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And yeah, he did have authentic people, like including Gordon Liu from Hong Kong Films that was famous. And then who played the sword? Sonny Chiba, of course. Yeah. Hattori Hanzo. Yeah. So Sonny Chiba is a famous Japanese film star of, I guess, the 1970s and 1980s, right? Everything was about it was awesome. Yeah, Sonny Chiba was in the movie street fighter and the street fighter movies the job not related to the video game but yeah awesome kill bill 2 loved it and kill bill 1 i saw them both in the theater okay so the second film that we're going to talk about is wolf of wall street yeah and 
like I said, I'm a huge Scorsese fan. For those of you that haven't seen The Wolf of Wall Street, it's actually based off the true life story of Jordan Belfort, who was a stockbroker who was incredibly successful, but started getting into some pretty shady things. And this movie is a depiction of that life. And also he was going off the rails in terms of substance abuse and really doing drugs pretty hardcore. So this scene that you want to talk about is where uh, I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Where he's so drugged up that he can't go for <laughs> he, he, he goes, oh, it's going to be a Parazzi face. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that was hysterical. So DiCaprio is on the phone. And at first, the person he's on the phone with, I forget if it's like his attorney or somebody like that. It's he's like, wait, what are you saying? And then he starts mumbling. Yeah. And then there's the voiceover where he's like, I realized that the quaaludes were lemons and it took 90 minutes for them to kick in. And then there's a whole new phase, which I call the cerebral palsy phase, which is hysterical. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, and it he's at a hotel and he's yeah. got his, is it a Ferrari or a Lamborghini? I forget. Yeah, kind of one of them. One of yeah. those. Cars. Yeah. And he's got his car parked at this hotel and he can't even, him just, getting into the car he can't even walk he's like, i realized i could crawl and then he's crawling i would have loved to just been a fly on the wall <laughs> when they were filming that scene because that just <laughs> i mean it's because it's double funny because dicaprio is such a serious actor right and then it's a he's such a serious scene yes you're right he's a serious actor but his physicality in that scene is fucking hysterical it is that's what makes it like he is a genius is yeah i love him he's just he awesome. is and yeah. when i saw it in the theater and everybody was just cracking up at that scene yeah. so yeah. it was cool to watch that did you yeah. see that one in the movie theater as well yeah i did and also it's interesting because i was like i was so interested in the real guy Bel belfort at belfort yeah um, it's definitely an interesting sure. character for sure but i've then, seen some of his videos I've seen some of his videos and stuff on YouTube. Exactly. So when I looked him up, he wasn't as charismatic as I thought. DiCaprio just makes everyone who's unlikable likable. You like him because it's DiCaprio playing him. But when you actually look him up, I was like, so <laughs> it's because DiCaprio magic. Like he makes everyone. The other th interesting one is when DiCaprio, the character was looking for drugs, right? And he goes to the sofa and he finds his drug, right? Like it was, it's hidden because yeah. Like, and that his wife hid it or whatever, and he found it. So it was like it was interesting because in the LA or other parts, like, oh, he found oh no, he found it and he found the drugs and he's gonna do it. I heard in Wall Street when he found the drugs when they sh did a special screening in Wall Street, everyone cheered. I was like, yay! That is so funny. So it's like oh wow, very different culture. <laughs> that is interesting. How yeah, I'm always fascinated by it. like when how people respond to different things in, yeah. in different places. But yeah, I, I remember seeing that in the theater. It was certainly a cinematic experience. Yeah. So I guess where could people follow along with you? Where could... Oh, thank you. I have Instagram, Hayato Mitsuishi on Instagram, and my website, which is kevinsentertainment.com, K-V-I-N-S entertainment.com. Nice. Yeah. I really appreciate you being on the Film Situation podcast. I hope thank to have you on again. Yeah. And, thank you uh, for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. And likewise. And I'm glad.
glad we got a chance to talk and i'm excited to see the films that you're working on thank you thank you very much same here looking forward to see your films thank you for listening to the film situation podcast with your host seth kota today's episode was sponsored by alphabet city films 